0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick, my co-host Jennifer Kalari coming up in just a minute. This is the show where we talk about mental health. We also practice skills because mental health is a practice, because it's not a noun, it's a verb. Because, you know, it's about little things you do every day, choices that that we make. And when I say we, I'm not talking about me, because I don't do this stuff. I really am the, I'm patient zero for for mental fitness, but I'm learning. I'm learning little things. Today, we're very lucky. We have a great guest who has been to a private island recently, and we're going to hear about that and about many other things from a terrific writer, actor, comic, the host of the podcast Troubled Waters on Maximum Fun Network, Mr. Dave Holmes. Dave is with us. I'm excited to have you, and and we're going to talk about all that and about something else that we we spoke about off, uh, off camera, even though the show is not filmed. Before I bring Jennifer out here, and we'll find out where she is, because no one is in a less than exotic area. Everyone is traveling or has traveled to a private island recently. Today's show is brought to you by RageBan. RageBan are the new sunglasses that actually show you what feelings are beneath the rage in your body or others. You know, anger is a gateway emotion. It sits on top of other feelings. Through patented emotional x-ray technology, Rageband glasses let you see and feel what's underneath your anger. Look like an aviator, feel like a million, and tilt the glasses down and you can see what's under your own hood. Look like Oliver Peoples, but be an actual people person. With Rage Man, we always like to welcome people, no matter what emotional state you're in. Here are very quickly emotional shout-outs. If you've stopped yourself from using the expression, that's a real slap in the face, since the Oscars welcome. If you've been working from home while laying down, welcome. If during charades you gave the clue, "Everybody get off my back," welcome. If you don't understand your own tears while watching The Great British Bake Off, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now I want to bring to the stage a woman who is actually in Costa Rica. Not kidding. This is the High Priestess of the Hippocampus, the Sultan of Serotonin, and the first assistant to the amygdala, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, you're in Costa Rica. What the hell's going on?
1: I am. Yes, I'm in Costa Rica. We came down for my daughter's spring break, and we're just staying a little longer.
0: It's beautiful. Can you describe anything around, like, what have you seen? You got bit by a scorpion.
1: I got bit by a scorpion. Thankfully, they're not deadly in Costa Rica, so that was good. I used a lot of my skills to stay calm, and it worked. Jesus we're in a little tiny town called Paraíso, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and we're loving it. It's We're having a great time.
0: Do we have the beach? We're on the Pacific Ocean. We're
1: on the beach, yes.
0: It's such a great, you know, 97% literacy rate and yeah. uh, not so much homelessness. So everybody has a home and they can read. So what they don't have is they don't have a road. <laughs> There's no road. So...
1: We're on Dirt Road, actually, where we are. Now, the people are lovely and just so warm and so proud of their country and so welcoming. And it's wonderful.
0: It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I was there doing I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. And I was saying get me out of here the entire <laughs> time. I loved it. I did love it. We were in the jungle and you couldn't even see the sky. It was so green and grown over. To So listen, no, I can't say anything about that. I learned a lot about myself and about how I am during panic consistent panic. Before we bring Dave out here, I want to talk today a little bit about how stress alchemizes in the body. Stress and excitement, the connection between stress and excitement or between anxiety and panic mm-hmm. and excitement. They actually come from the same family, right? They're kind of yes. they're kind of connected. Yeah.
1: If someone's in an mRI and they're excited or panicked, it'll be the same. The same parts of the brain are firing. It's exactly the same. The only difference is context, so sometimes just calling it nervous sighted can help
0: nervous is such a great word and i've I've had a nervousci breakdown uh recently, but I ner- both you do both. Is this true about anything like let's talk a little bit about o c d and a d h d mm-hmm are they related in any way to, to anxiety, panic, or to the parts of the brain that we're talking about right now?
1: Sure. Well, so OCD and ADHD are quite different, but they can be comorbid. You can have them at the same time. One of the things that goes along with having ADHD usually is anxiety. When you have ADHD, they really should call it intention deficit disorder because it's not, it's not that people with ADHD don't pay attention. It's that they pay attention to everything. And then the part of the brain that actually plans and the part that actually does, moves and actually makes a decision, those parts of the brain don't communicate with each other very well. And a lot of people that have ADHD suffer from time blindness, which means they really just have a very unusual relationship with time and the consequences of pushing things off and not doing things right away. And there's, there are lots of things you can do about it. There are lots of skills that you can learn that can help. Often, people with ADHD are brilliant and funny and thrive in busy, crazy situations and and can really handle you know a lot of things in life. it's It's not always such a it's looked at as such a negative thing, but it it can be quite a gift if you know how to help your brain. And then OCD is is a form of anxiety, but it's it's sort of anxiety that anxiety, I say I've said this on the show so many times. It's a very hungry emotion. It likes to be fed. And so the more you have some uh, ritual that you need to perform, like washing your hands over and over again or checking that a door is locked. And when you feel better after you've checked it, your anxiety goes, oh, okay, well, I'm only alive because I checked that door. I better check it again. And so every time you have to perform a task to make your anxiety feel better, it just doubles down on you. So it's, it's really frustrating. And the difference between being like an obsessive person that you just like to check and you like to have things not crooked on the wall, but you can actually leave it and walk away from it, and someone with, with OCD is that you can't, like you're literally a slave to it. It's what's called ego dystonic. So you have to go back and check that door, even though you know, absolutely know that you have locked it and you're a little bit of a slave to it. Anxiety is a pretty powerful emotion and it's kind of hard to control. Sometimes it's, it's designed to take care of us. It's self-preservatory. It's, I look at it, anxiety is like an allergy. It's like an emotional allergy. So very similar to having an allergy to like bee stings or strawberries. Your, the body just loves you so much and wants to save you from it that it overreacts to it. Anxiety is a little bit like an emotional, an emotional allergy.
0: Well, uh, is there a Claritin? <laughs> I'm the Stonewall Jackson of emotions. Is what happens is I've seceded from my own feelings and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. (laughs) I don't really know. I think it's due to the the overwhelm that we've all been dealing with for such a long time. I want to bring in Dave to talk with us. I cannot believe that we haven't worked together or met or it's such a nice thing to to meet somebody. We have so much in common and so many friends in common. He is a, a comic, a terrific comic, an actor, a writer Contributed to New York Magazine, many other magazines. Was just on a private island. We'll hear about that. He has a very funny, uh, entertaining show called Troubled Waters on Maximum Fun Network. Mr. Dave Holmes. Dave. Hi,
2: guys.
0: How are you? Such a pleasure to have you. I've heard you on, with Jimmy so many times and your own show. And I can't believe we've never met. But just take us to the private island for a minute. And then we're going to get back into emotion okay. and mental health. Yeah. Let's address it.
2: So I'm I'm on staff at Esquire now. I'm an editor at large for Esquire, which is like a fancy way of saying I don't have to go to an office. You know, but I work for this magazine and, and I get I get offers for like press opportunities and trips and things like that with the with the expectation that I'll eventually write about it. And I got one a couple of weeks ago from a, a PR company who represents an app called Viome. Which is like a wellness app where you, okay, where literally you send them a stool sample and some of your blood, and they like analyze it and figure out like the best diet plan for you and supplement plan for you. You have and
0: all me at stool sample.
2: So <laughs> okay, exactly. I mean, who like that's it's just appealing for everyone involved. So and the 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 press, like the the event was going to be a uh, a week with the inventor, lead investor of this thing. Uh, who happens to be a billionaire many times over from several other businesses who co-owns a private island in the British Virgin Islands, an island called Mosquito. And I got this email and I was like, well, there's no way I can possibly do that. Uh, And I mentioned it to my editor-in-chief who said, you are an idiot if you don't go. You have to go. So I went and spent last week literally on a private island in the British Virgin Islands with, with a couple of biotech billionaires and then
0: a bunch of like journalists and influencers. It was a, it was a confluence of many strange cultures. Is there an icebreaker, or an ice cream social? What do you talk about with people?
2: Oh my god! Can I tell you? There there was like there was like a welcome dinner. First of all, of course, we're in this guy's house, which has a, a staff, and a, you know he's vegetarian. Uh, I myself am not, but now I'm considering it. it. It was you know great meals every single day. Our welcome dinner we all sat down at this big long table in this gorgeous house overlooking, you know, the ocean from three different directions. And there there were there was a series of icebreaker questions. Mine, as it often is, is what was your first concert? Mine was Duran Duran wow. in 1984. There was a very young media type next to me who said, "Lord." Oh. Yeah.
0: What Lord? What is that? What's Lord? Lord had that song Royals.
2: I thought they were actually saying God. Oh, like the Jesus Christ? Yeah, no, Lord. Lord with the silent E. And I, I did the math. It checked out. People who, who were 12 when they went to their first concert, which was Lord, are full adults <laughs> that's now. Insane.
0: That's insane. That's insane. When, that's when I go back to my suite at that point.
2: Ex- yeah, that, that was when I started plotting my exit, yeah.
0: That's a very colorful uh, image. And I mean, I send questions to guests, to our guests. And I never ask any of them, but I sent something to you. And I always ask people, like, what's going on with them? And rarely, mm-hmm. almost never, do they say, well, I'm working on this thing or there's something going on in my life. And most of the people are people I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I sent it to you and you actually sent me back something. And I was so delighted. Yeah. I was so delighted that I couldn't wait to talk about this. And it's <laughs> awful because I know it's not something that you, you actually celebrate, Right. It's not something that you celebrate, well, but it may be something that becomes a big a big tool, a big ally for you. It kind of is actually, but we'll we'll get into it so I asked Dave Jennifer, and he told me that he he is working on a d h d right now and that he's actually getting help for it exactly. so tell us tell us about yeah. that tell Tell us what's happening and and how you discovered this. I was diagnosed in twenty eighteen or nineteen something like that
2: you know, it was something that in the back of my mind, I knew. And, you know, anytime I read a first person essay about ADHD, I was like, I relate to every word of this. But then I, you know, I have that thing of, I had that sort of skepticism of like, well, you know, maybe I'm, you know, maybe it's just like a personal failing and I'm looking for an excuse or whatever. I was raised Catholic. So Mm -hmm. that's what that's about. But I grew up with the standard ADHD, Uh, notes from teachers, you know, which is, it doesn't live up to his potential, needs to apply himself, you know, seems to drift Mm -hmm. in class, all that kind of stuff. But this was, you know, the 70s and 80s where, you know, the solution for these things was just like, hey, don't be like Mm -hmm. that, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of how I proceeded. I wrote uh, a memoir in 2016, and that was absolute murder, trying to, you know, trying to sit down and write my own stories, which I love to tell it was it was extremely extremely hard to focus, which you know it, it was also a big responsibility and I was you know emotionally attached and whatever but I was like, i'm trying to focus on one thing and get it done and i'm I'm just having a hell of a time there's probably something here so oh and by the way, during this time i i went to my i had like a physical with my you know g p and i mentioned that i i wanted to you know be tested for a d h d and he just gave me a prescription for Adderall like didn't like no no yeah. further questions it was just i had it in my hands that freaked me out i didn't i didn't that i wasn't super comfortable with that when i decided to like really find out for sure i i found a psychologist who kind of specializes in this kind of thing and and i went and i had a consultation with her where i said please give me the maximum amount of testing that my insurance will allow and then maybe even some beyond that like i'll go out of pocket like i want to be Absolutely sure. And so we did like double digit hours of, you know, computer testing and reflex testing and self assessments. And my partner had to fill out an assessment and tested me uh, many, many different ways. The result was a, you know, a big thick booklet about myself that was pretty conclusive that I have a fairly severe case of ADHD, which She described as like a a a wide gap between processing speed and working memory, which I I know there are a lot of different ways to to define and explain ADHD, but that was one that kind of resonated with me. So I had this you know this big report on myself, and then I went to my car, and there was a ticket on my windshield because I had just walked away from my car and not paid the parking meter, and I was like, these two things say the exact Mm -hmm. same thing. And then I didn't do anything about it for a couple of years because I got distracted. And then lockdown happened and all of the errands and meetings and auditions and pitches and, you know, stuff that like keeps my mind scattered all day was like stripped away. And I had to just be at my desk and try to get a single thing done. And I couldn't do it. That's when I said, All right, I need to, I need to go on some medication here. I need to like you know, pursue ADHD-focused therapy. And I did. And now I'm fixed.
0: (laughs) That's it. It's over now. That's it. That's it. It's all over. Thank you guys for having me. (laughs) You went to the island. Nothing bothered you. And uh, that was it. The island and the medication and the treatment. And it's over. So what's going on, Jennifer? Tell me.
1: So I just want to mention that one of the things about ADHD, it's sort of known as the diabetes of the kind of, of, of psychological or mental health issues.
2: Oh, I'm type one diabetic as well.
1: well. And there's no connection. It's just, it's very, it's really common. It really is. And yeah. with proper support and medication and knowing how to set sort of prosthetic limits for yourself, like using your phone properly and having people remind you of things and being accountable and kind of shortening up the accountability. It's one of those things mm-hmm. where you, the symptoms go away, especially with meds, they're gone. You you really can just function normally. And, you know, medication by itself with nothing else isn't necessarily the best and not everybody has to go on medication. But what people don't realize about mm-hmm. medication is it's a stimulant, right? So people always wonder like, well, why take a stimulant if you're already, you know, hyperactive or can't focus? And it, what it does is it actually makes sure that enough electricity gets to the frontal lobe of the brain. And the frontal lobe's job is to prioritize and organize and motivate and look past the, your circumstances to figure out what's going on. And so it really allows your brain to function the way that it would if you didn't have ADHD. So medication can be a really important part of things that and and just kind of figuring yeah. out how to be how to make yourself accountable in different ways.
2: You know, I I I was kidding when I said I'm fixed. I'm super not fixed.
1: It can help a lot. It really can.
2: Oh, it definitely can and I and there is a definite improvement. There's no question. What I was hoping was the doorway out is like the doorway to the hallway, to the, you know, elevator, to the parking lot, to the way out, you know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a step, you know, I have to prioritize good sleep and good Mm -hmm. nutrition and exercise and, and all that. Like there, there are a lot of things that go into having a good day and they won't all be good days. And that if it's a, you know, quote unquote bad day, or if I'm having trouble focusing, ADHD is not the worst thing in the world. You know. Maybe those are days then to be creative or to you know,
0: go take a walk and, and notice things and fill your tank back up. Thematically, there's a theme coming through here, and there's theme music. But thematically, you're talking about consciousness, being aware of yourself and mm-hmm. being aware of what's going on with you, which is an antidote to a, a, a road to almost everything. I'm curious... Of like what emotion, like how do things happen emotionally once you start to be aware of the fact that you have something that needs care?
2: Well, two things. First of all, it's hard not to be a tiny bit resentful that I did not get help at the time when I needed help, you know, um, and that the the full responsibility was just like placed on my shoulders to not have a condition. Nobody ever yelled at me to not be. Type one diabetic, I I I was only able to think of things in terms of like personal failings, and not like I have a deficit here that I need to overcome and I need help doing that, or I might need to be taught things a slightly different way. The thing is, I I always tested extremely Mm -hmm. well, and so that I think is why my teachers had this idea that I was that I should have been doing better in in class. Not paying attention, yeah, right. Like uh, you know, a test is like. How you're doing in the moment, like a standardized test, is is just yep. how you're doing in the moment. But paying attention in class, synthesizing what you've learned into some sort of paper, that's a whole different yep. skill set. I wish that I had been given the tools for yep. that a little bit earlier. However, I did, you know, after years of of failing and of feeling like a failure and a and a a loser because I did not perform well in school at all, I found myself in the world that I'm in right now. I, you know, I got lucky enough. To start working in television, primarily in live television, where you have to pay attention to fifty different things at once. So the first time that I was like, in, like in the driver's seat of a live television program, I was like, "Oh, I th- I yep. can do this. Like this is this is yep. what I do." You know, I got good enough at it to to be busy a lot, and things really took off for me. And I think that is kind of the gift of ADHD is that I I was able to do that, and that is not uncommon. I I wrote about this in in Esquire, and since doing that, several people in in my like circle of friends, and then my outer circle of sort of comedy and comedy adjacent people have reached out and said like Me too." So now we have like a big group text. And it's interesting how, you know, our, our condition all led us to similar sorts of things that we do, you know, fairly well at.
1: So many skilled, intelligent people have ADHD. Look at the list of famous people without ADHD. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Right. Brilliant, brilliant minds. Um, there are several different types of ADHD too. Like more, I think 11, there's 11 different types. So it's not always the same for everybody. It affects everyone a little bit differently. And there, it can be a tremendous gift. It really can. And I think, you know, a hundred years ago when kids didn't have to go to school past grade eight and they could work with their hands and build things and experience life in a different way, nobody would notice it. It's when you had to sit in school and pay attention and be sort of emotionally disconnected from what you're learning, which is really hard because an ADHD kid's got 5,000 ideas in their head. And the teacher's like, look over here. Look, what Mm. what are you doing? And ADHD kids hear all day long, sit down, cut it out. Why are you doing that? Be quiet. Like It's a constant barrage. Um, and one more thing that's really interesting, I think, about ADHD that people don't always realize is because the frontal lobe's job is to moderate, sometimes it can be really tough to control your emotions with ADHD. You feel things very deeply. And especially for kids, it's like a tsunami yeah. of emotions. And that can take some time to learn how to how to regulate that. It's, it's, it's a gift and a curse. It's yes. both.
0: I have two things to say, and one of them is, for any of Dave's teachers that are listening in right now, shame on you. That's number
2: one. Shame on you. Yeah. Honestly, they're, they're all nuns, so they- They already have the shame. They understand shame, yeah. Nuns and monks.
0: And the other thing is, I feel really insecure that I do not have ADHD right now. So <laughs> that's, from, that's between me and my maker. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say live TV. Because live TV is the absolute best thing I've ever experienced in my life, and it is the only thing to do if you're in the television industry, to me. Now you do it, I've done it, because it's that feeling that you're not quite you're not quite sure that anything is going to work out. And while you're doing it, you're too busy doing it to worry about it working out. You're just in the doing phase. And it's a wonderful, it's that feeling of not being comfortable but being okay with the discomfort because you're all making a show together which i love
2: yeah, it's gonna work out i do too i do too and i i mean i i am an anxious person for sure and you know and i i had done you know improv and sketch comedy and things like that and i got just so so anxious before shows but i never really did before doing live tv i think it's because the external reality mirrored my internal reality so closely, yeah. you know, like the chaos on the outside matched the chaos on the inside. And it just kind of felt, it felt comfortable.
1: Yeah. There's another interesting piece too, that adrenaline, which is a stimulant Mm -hmm. really works like ADHD medication. It does. So when I work with families and I, and and I know their kids have ADHD, I make sure a couple times a day, the parents are like wrestling with the kid and chasing them and, you know, playing hide and seek and like high and not just play outside, like it has to have like ah, to it. And you're self medicating with adrenaline. So of course, ADHD, people with ADHD thrive in those environments and excel and can handle it way, way better than the average person who gets very overwhelmed. You know, they make amazing emergency room doctors and there's a high element of, you know, adrenaline that actually really, really helps. But, but also Dave, you would know this too. With ADHD, you can also get super overwhelmed after a while. Once you come down from that, you, mm-hmm. it, the, you can get some really intense sensory input, which can be kind of overwhelming.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To me, I always said it was like arriving at your destination a, a, on a long road trip. Like you just ha- you have to take a quick nap. You haven't like dug a ditch or anything, but like, you're just tired from focusing all from like using your attention. Right.
1: I I had a kid once that I was working with. I'll never forget this. He was nine years old and he was explaining to me what it felt like to have ADHD. And he said, it's like you're in an amusement park and someone's yelling, you know, you know, whatever uh, popcorn and somebody else is yelling something else. And there's lights flashing and there's music playing and there's somebody telling you one thing in one ear and somebody else telling you something in another year, ear and you just won a million dollars. <laughs> That's what he explained ADHD like. I thought that was such a neat explanation. And he just described being so, like they just, for kids especially, it, they, at the end of the school day, they are so tired.
0: Dave, and in terms of relationships, personal relationships, a partner, uh, how does it affect that? Is it something that causes... Issues or conflicts, or how do you navigate it, and how how did you used to navigate it, and how do you navigate it now?
2: Well, I I navigated it by just judging myself for it and being angry at myself all of the time. You know, I've I've heard Jennifer people say this thing about emotional mm-hmm. dysregulation. As I have heard that, I've thought like that doesn't really that doesn't really fit because my my picture of that is somebody you know having a lot of big right. outbursts right. right but
1: it can go out it can go outward but it can also go inward
2: that's that's what uh, now we're talking in
1: your head you yeah. there's a council nobody's in charge and they're all yelling at you do this and why don't you do that and you're such a loser yes. and you're so stupid and you forgot the the hardest thing is you have every intention of you know doing what you know that you need to do but then something steals your brain and you're now off on another thought And then somebody gets mad at you for not mailing that thing or closing that door or turning off the burner, whatever it is. And you get mad at yourself because it has nothing to do with intelligence. It just has to do with this brain that can so easily get pulled in a million different directions or start something. ADHD people will often start multiple things, but not finish a lot of things. And then there's Mm -hmm. a lot of shame and guilt and frustration that goes along with that. And of course they get told a lot from other people. They get corrected a lot and,
0: but high-achieving people, high-achieving yeah. people that put a lot of pressure on themselves and don't reckon with their, their gifts, right? I mean, don't give yourself credit for, because you're probably, you know, processing things and doing things and accomplishing. Because I'm thinking, the guy, a, the guy is a published writer. He's writing memoirs. He's hosting shows. He's doing live shows. He's doing a ton of stuff that requires a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. How is that happening? There is, you know, also
2: the possibility of hyper-focus and I've, you know, I've certainly had that experience and I'm also, you know, I kind of, I guess I just learned how to work with it and, and how, how to not starve. It is by doing a, a million different things at once, a need to keep my nose above water, I guess, allowed me to do a lot of different things. You know, now that I am at least aware of the condition and addressing it with medication and and with therapy and with this group text of you know friends who were all kind of in the same boat, I will say my partner has noticed that I am much less tense, and I notice small things like first of all, I have fingernails and eyebrows, <laughs> uh, and I never I never made like and I would I would just I would pick at my fingernails like tear at them. And and like pull up my eyebrows. And and I never was like, I never made the decision to stop doing that. It's just like a month into this experience, I looked down and I was like, oh, I should buy a nail clipper because my fingernails are very long.
0: Isn't that great? I totally relate to that. I do understand that. Because I'm a I'm I'm a picker. I I do that and I have not found a way yeah. to to stop that. People say, why don't you hold something? I don't really understand it that way. If people are listening and they're like, I have these, these experiences and these symptoms, but I don't really know what to do, what do they do? Like, what, what are some skills that, that you use? Like, I, I heard that you mentioned you have to make sure that you eat well, that you rest well, that you, uh, you're taking yeah. care of yourself. There's self-care going on. Are there other things? Are there, are there things that you do with your emotions or with check-ins, or how does it go?
2: I think yeah just better self talk is really important. Mm-hmm. I was very hard on myself and I continue to be pretty hard on myself, but the the subtle shift of going from you are flawed as a human being to you have a condition that requires attention and that you need to work around is is significant, you know? Like letting yourself off the hook is important. It really is. Self-talk. Yeah.
0: Well, well, Jennifer, what do you, what do you, how do you work with people who, who um, have ADHD? Well, that's really
1: important, just sort of that emotional hygiene, like just cleaning up the thoughts about yourself and just knowing you're not neurotypical, but you have amazing gifts. There's all kinds of things that people with ADHD can do that regular people can't do. Surround yourself with people who are good at what you're not good at. That's a great tool. Use external things to help you with your memory, like use your phone, use your watch, there should be reminders for things Siri should be talking to you all day long. Because what happens with ADHD people is they try to keep it in their head, but they know they really can't keep it in their head. So they either keep talking about it and thinking about it. And part of the getting mad at themselves can be that do idiot, don't forget this kind of stuff. But it's, it's part of the anxiety and writing it down or telling someone else. There's one tool. This is great even if you don't have ADHD, but it's called Touch Once. And I wish I could credit the person. I don't know who, where I first heard it from. I've known this for years. But basically, the idea is if you have a task, so we'll just go old school here and say you have to mail a letter because it's a good example. So what happens when you have ADHD is you put the letter at the front door and then you walk past it for a month and keep thinking, oh, yeah, can I mail that letter? But you keep forgetting. So the idea is that the letter is in your hand. It does not physically leave your hand until you have either asked someone else to do it who's reliable, put a reminder in your phone to do it, or you walk to the mailbox yourself and do it. It does not leave your hand. So if it's an email that you have to answer, then you you don't do anything else until you have done one of those three things. You either answered the email, passed it off to someone who can do it. Um and then you just make sure that nothing leaves your mind or leaves your hand until you've taken an immediate action on it. Because the other thing that happens with ADHD is there's a lot of avoidance and I'll do that later. Oh yeah, I could all do that later. I have, right. I have enough time. And then you don't have enough time and then you forget. And then you start beating yourself up. Right. So touch once is fantastic. Touch once. It really works. Yep.
2: Another practical tip for me is one list. Yes. One list. I was the king of lists, but like eight hundred lists on tiny scraps of paper. That have other tiny scraps of paper piled up on top of them, so it's like I would write it down, but there, you know, who cares? You know, it would be on a post it that would get lost or whatever. I started using something called three by five life. It's a literally three by five index card, and like on one side, it's like your tasks. On the other side, it's uh like a you know schedule by hour of the day. That is where I have my one list for the day of the things that I have to do and I can carry it with me. That's your
1: prosthetic device that helps you. That goes on in most people's heads. That's a very difficult task Mm -hmm. for someone with ADHD. So you now physically have it in your hand, which is amazing.
0: That's terrific. I'm going to look into that myself, but isn't it true that, you know, we say that there are neurotypical people and neurodiverse. Isn't it true that like all of us to have an awareness of how our brain works and have an awareness of how, what yeah. our rhythms are. Mm-hmm. And I think most people think that there's something wrong with them. Most people think that there's something wrong if they have a particular kind of rhythm, and there's not, there's not something wrong. Like I'm a person who sh- I ebb and flow, like I have very pro- productive times during the day, and I have times that are not that productive. And I used to punish mm-hmm. myself for that and special. and and now, I sort of say, "Well, that's kind of how you work. You're recharging so you can do something else. Mm-hmm. but you, but I don't have to shame myself. Yeah. I mean, I could, and I'm good <laughs> at it. Uh, if you want want to be shamed, call me because I am very good at shaming. I am oh, the king boy. of shame. Uh, I'm a shaman. I'm <laughs>
1: well it's it's interesting too because shame is such a powerful emotion and and for people off that have adhd emotions really do feel very intense they they can and i'm not saying they feel things necessarily stronger but they're they can be especially for kids more difficult to control and shame is this feeling that kind of burns right through you it's just this i don't know it's a very it's a very uncomfortable emotion but there's two types of shame there's there's healthy shame which is okay, well, I made that person feel bad. I'm out of, you know, I'm out of harmony with my community. I need to do something to fix it. I need to apologize. And then you can use those feelings to actually guide you to doing the right thing. And that, so shame, there's a place, but toxic shame, which is kind of, Dave, what we were talking about, the really like lashing yourself and going after yourself and beating yourself up, that, that shame just immobilizes you and it just builds up over time. And it's, you don't learn from that kind of shame.
2: No, it's just it's just yep. red hot. It shuts down all mm-hmm. rational thought. It's yeah, it's just it's bad. And that's and you know that shame is truly some of my earliest memories. You know, and some of my most formative experiences are are that. You know, so it's it's difficult to get in there and rewire yep. the system.
0: But every time you take care of yourself, every time you do these things that you're you're with this self-care and the self-talk, you're repairing, you're repairing, and you're repairing. So it's it's yeah. kind of amazing, really, when you think about it. You're cha- Jennifer, you always talk about changing the direction of your thoughts, mm-hmm. changing the direction of how your brain works.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and even in a powerful emotion like shame or the the part of your brain that just beats you up, this is what's so complex about the brain is that those feelings are they don't feel like it, but they're actually self-preservatory. It's your own brain trying to hold you down, trying to beat you up so nobody else can hurt you. I mean, it, it's weirdly self-protective in a strange way. And so part of the yeah. conversation that needs to happen in your head is you just imagine that that's actually a, we all kind of have multiple personalities in our brain. It's just most people can integrate them. And then people who actually have multiple personality disorder. And I'm the, the current term for that is slipping my mind. So I'm, I apologize, but we all um, have different personalities and aspects to ourselves. And when, and when we don't, when we have trouble integrating that, that's difficult. So actually thinking about that part of your brain, that's beating you up and turning around and having a conversation with it. Okay, I get it. I'm listening.
0: Yeah. You're yeah. mad
1: at me. You love me. You're trying to protect mm-hmm. me, man. You are powerful.
0: Yeah. What's going on,
1: and what's interesting is that part of your brain is often very stuck in time. It's often stuck in your childhood. It doesn't realize that you're not actually in danger that things have actually moved on. It's the embodiment of every teacher and you know priest or rabbi or whoever told you to sit still um and it's kind of turning around and just having a relationship with that part of your brain and sending that part of your brain some love and telling it it can go off duty now,
0: yeah. And thank you for doing your job. You're trying to do your job, and I get it. I get it. Because like you've said before, it's somebody's knocking on on the door, you know, trying to send a message. These these things are trying to send messages. It's energy trying to send a message. And if you account and you say, I get that you're trying to send me a message, what's the message? It changes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we were not taught, we you know, how different would life would have been? We were never taught that emotions and thoughts that it's a two-way communication. Mm-hmm. It's an actual two-way right. dialogue. It's not a one-way. And no one ever right. said that. No one ever said, "Oh, you can talk back to your thoughts and feelings. You talk to yourself." Yeah.
2: Yeah. And also, I feel like, you know, that kind of toxic shame is because you are not one spe- the one specific kind of person that we're basically taught to be. And there are so many different ways to exist in this world. The world requires so many different kinds of thinking and processing and and being. So, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, like this, you know, broken, oh, here comes my dog, (laughs) that this, like this sort of weird broken brain that I have could be the perfect thing for, by the way, exactly what I grew up wanting to do and not knowing how to do you know it's it's like i actually owe my dream life to having a brain that's a little a yeah. little messed up
0: and the brain is exactly right for you you know yeah. we are never told that how you are is fine like you are fine mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with you you do it this way right. i do it that way but it doesn't matter what matters is that we have a relationship with ourselves, and we are kind to ourselves, and we we have a connection to ourselves. Because once you have that, then it changes your whole landscape inside, and you can relate to, to everything yeah. differently. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's it becomes a yeah. gift somehow. <music> Talking with Dave Holmes and Jennifer Kalari here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I I have to go back to this question. I'm going to widen it a little bit. I'm going to ask you both what your favorite live show has been. It could be a concert. It might be a play. It might be anything. But what is the most profound? What is your favorite when you think about this and that made a profound uh, impact on you or that you enjoyed so much? And of course, people have more than one, but can you think of one? Wow. God, there's so many. (laughs) No, it's been good yeah. talking to Jennifer, go ahead. I, of
1: one. I was 16 years old and I saw Billy Joel Ooh. on stage and I loved his concert and he actually pulled me up on stage. I can't oh, remember Jesus. the song. I don't remember what? the song, but I was actually for like two minutes on the stage. It was a fantastic moment. Yes.
0: Was he dancing with you? Like, what were you doing on the stage? I
1: don't know. He just, I, I don't remember. I just remember, I can't remember the song. But I remember he pulled me out of the audience, and I was like, I guess I was dancing with him on stage for like a minute or something. I don't know. It was crazy. It was. (laughs) It would have
0: been hysterical if it were Piano Man or Allentown, like a song that doesn't go with dancing. (laughs) I don't
1: know what it was, but it was a moment. For a sixteen year old, that was a pretty Oh good. my God, that's insane. Yeah, it was insane.
0: What was it like? what was he like? Did he talk? Did he Jesus. say anything? Was no, he singing? He
1: was in the middle of a song. So there was no conversation. Oh, and of course it was way before cell phones or anything. So Wow. It just remains real in my head. That's all. Yeah.
0: That is wow. a, t- a moment in time. That's amazing.
1: It was. That's it huge. was a moment.
0: He's a genius! Wow, that's amazing, Uh, Dave. Anything from you? Were you? It wouldn't be funny if you said uh, it was this Billy Joel concert and there was this woman dancing next to me. I didn't know what she was doing. Yeah, Uh, similar
2: sort of thing. A few years ago, Prince did a residency at the Forum in Los Angeles because he was trying to save it from being torn down, and it was uh, he was there, you know, three four times a week for a month or more, and uh, and tickets were capped at twenty five dollars, and I just sort of. Came on a pair of tickets uh, from like StubHub or something uh, that I bought for twenty five per, and we went down there. Our seats ended up being like second row, you know. And it's Prince, who Great. is of course the greatest of all time, and he wow. just you know blows through all of his hits. Like there, there was a full section where it was just like a a drum solo and he shook his ass and all that was lit on stage was his ass and it was on all the the screens and it was like a riveting piece of cinema there was like a narrative arc to his ass shaking and there were like four encores and it, it was just it was like this is he just was like a celestial wow. being and i'd always been a fan but i'd never seen him live and that, yeah. that was like an wow. incredible privilege like we couldn't we couldn't stop laughing at how
0: good it was. Wow. You saw the best. You, Ed? Wow.
2: How about you, Ed?
0: Probably the best. Um, yeah. nothing for me. Nothing. You know, I was in my pajamas and I was driving a Toyota, and it was like, I don't know what time of day it was, but on the radio, people used to listen to the radio in the car because it was because I'm a hundred years old. So I'm listening to the radio and it says Paul Simon is going to be performing one night only at the House of Blues. Now you can get tickets, just stop by the box office and they have a lottery system. And the lottery is you stand in line and if they call your number, you go up for tickets. It's not like where you are in line. Right. So I pulled the car over and I said, if I get tickets, I'm getting like as many tickets as I can buy and I'm bringing everybody with me. And so they called my number. I think I bought seven or eight tickets. We went into the show. Now you gotta remember, Paul Simon he, has, he hasn't performed in a 500 seat venue in about 30 years. Of course. Okay. So here's Paul Simon and his band. We go in, and for some, the, the, the night was touched by magic because we go in and it's just at the beginning of the show and we decide to eat dinner. So we're eating dinner upstairs and we're having like salmon, and all of a sudden we hear the sounds of silence being played and it's Paul Simon doing a sound check running through his entire set list. Wow. So we're doing we're eating salmon, wow. we're listening to the great Paul Simon from the time he played the guitar to the time he orchestrated and 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 arranged these the the, the Graceland stuff, everything. So we heard that and then we go down. I said we should probably go downstairs because we're going to, you know, not we're going to miss it. And then we went downstairs, and the only place that there was, the only space, was right in front of the stage. That was the only place you could stand. So mm-hmm. we stood in front of the stage, and for two and a half hours, we watched Paul Simon doing every song he's ever written and being thrilled by it. Paul Simon's a depressive guy. He was on fire, he was dancing. He was, and he'd look down and he'd say, You have no idea how much this means to me. You have no idea how much this means to me. And it's Paul Simon and he's just giving this back to the audience. It was the best show I've ever seen. It was oh. the best show I've ever seen. Wow. That's yeah, that glorious. was a that was a wonderful time. Really, these experiences are and and these are all live experiences, right? These are not through a screen, they're not mm-hmm. over Zoom. I'm not saying you can't have those experiences, but there is something to a live experience. It's very yep. important. That's wow. our show and I cannot thank Dave a, pleasure having you thank you so much oh, for it was having great me having you. thank you so much truly such oh it's a pleasure i learned a, i learned a lot and uh it's a pleasure now that we now that we're together we know each other we're gonna we're gonna do this again and you know i'll come on come it. on uh, you know love to perform sometime do something have a conversation cup of coffee yeah this would be great Sure. thank you and dave where do they go to listen how, how do they they find you doing a lot of different things where do you where do you where do they go to listen to you
2: uh well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dave Holmes. I will plug my my stuff okay. there.
0: Yeah, I would say Twitter and okay. Instagram
2: are the best ways to
0: Dave Holmes everybody. And Jennifer, if you like these kinds of these kinds of skills, these kinds of conversations, if you want to hear more podcasts about this, about mental fitness, about well-being, about parenting, you go to connectedparenting.com. You go to Jennifer's organization connected Parenting.com. books media all kinds of stuff all kinds of resilient skills so go to connectedparenting.com and find us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, you can find us at makelightmedia.com makelightmedia.com and uh, listen get busy living keep coming back it works if you work it i'm ed krasnick we'll see you next time